text in my sermon. Don't worry about it. So good to see you all today. Lots of happy, smiling faces out there. A few frowns. It's okay. Um, I got to see a lot of you yesterday. We had a special event here where we got to celebrate look over the beautiful life of Bree Eater, and it was a heavy event, a tearful event, but uh, something very sweet and special as well, and it was a real blessing to get to be a part of that. Um, and uh, I was excited for today's sermon too, and I, I saw Dylan He's here today, coming in the door, and they had Dr. Pepper. No, uh, Mountain Dew, like cigarette Mountain Dew. I think it has lots of caffeine in it, I'm not sure. And I said, oh good, you guys drink that, because it'll help you stay awake during my sermon. Something like a teenager, to kind of pop your bubble in after that, because Dylan's response was, uh, Oh, that won't help. Your voice is way too soothing. <laughs> well, as we get into uh, our text this morning, I want to visit some of the highlights that we talked about last week about God's wisdom and the way God's wisdom is different than the wisdom of the world. Well, this is actually this whole section of 1 Corinthians is really Paul's attack on the wisdom of the world when it's contrasted with the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God, of course, being Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Uh, the wisdom of the world, it judges people by their status. It judges people by their learning, by their gifts, by how impressive they are. Uh, but God's wisdom is actually diametrically opposed to this. And the way that God, in His wisdom, judges situations, it gets real simple. It comes down to, here's the Christ, and here is His cross. What are you going to do about it? And Paul uses this discussion on God's wisdom as a juxtaposition uh, or a kind of mirror to show the Corinthian believers that they, in fact, are not as mature and advanced spiritually as they're making themselves out to be. There's a lot of growing, actually, that needs to take place. Uh, well, there's several things that Paul teaches us about God's wisdom. First of all, God's wisdom, there is a mystery to it. Uh, in the end, God's wisdom can only be accepted by those who have the Spirit of God. And it's kind of like I said to describe it, it's like the Holy Spirit, He reaches down into our lives and takes a hold of the deepest parts of us. And we feel connected to God. Uh, and then in response, our spirit grabs hard onto Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And when this happens, when we, when we realize that God has taken a hold of us and we have taken a hold of the Lord, there's not floundering then, there's not uh, hemming and hawing, there's only pressure.
pressing on in love when that really happens. We press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took a hold of me or took a hold of us. So when a person is baptized into Christ, they grow in that relationship. And there's the possibility of learning of the Spirit and the gift of the Holy Spirit comes. And we can learn to listen to the Holy Spirit. And that relationship becomes a kind of conduit that connects us to God, uh, but it also, in some sense, it connects us to other spirit-filled disciples as well. It kind of just holds things together. So in a sense, you can say we are connected or tethered to the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven through the Holy Spirit available to us, living in us. Well, if all we have is worldly wisdom, the idea of being connected to anyone or anything, it seems restricted to us. We don't want to be accountable to anyone. I want to be completely free. And then when we say stuff like that, we go make ourselves a slave. Slaves to all kinds of things. Wouldn't it be better to just enter the easy yoke of Christ? So with worldly wisdom, this is probably how I would, I would view it this tethering to heaven through the Holy Spirit. Puppet on the string. I'm free. I'm not going to be controlled by anyone. I, that's the way that this kind of tethering could kind of sound to someone who just has worldly wisdom. But in the wisdom of God, we realize it's actually not that kind of tether. It's not chaining us up.
And it does. It gives us the mind of Christ. We begin to be able to see things differently, understand things differently. So now after reminding the Corinthians what God's wisdom looks like, what the mind of Christ focuses on, now in today's text, Paul uses that wisdom of God as a kind of mirror to show the Corinthians, hey, you guys are not acting up to this. You're not living up to this. And so really in today's text, he lets the hammer fall. Boom. And I got to love this. I used to hate this about Paul, but the guy is so like not politically correct about, I, I mean, he just does not, he's an equal opportunity offender. Let's put it that way. He says this, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the spirit. But as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. Some of the Corinthian believers, they were priding themselves on their wisdom. They took pride in their enlightened position. It was differentiating that they were differentiating themselves from others. Uh, differentiating themselves based on their talents or their gifts or their supposed maturity. So imagine how this went over when this letter was being read publicly for the first time in that ancient church. And they were called out by Paul, who was essentially saying, you guys think you're mature, but really, you're all acting like a bunch of babies.
when our wills are frustrated, sometimes the bigger our baby tantrums they tend to be. So Paul goes on and he says this, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. Well, aside from throwing a tantrum if you don't get your way, there's actually nothing wrong with being a spiritual baby. Being a spiritual baby is a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, it's the place where we all begin. And maybe you're 75 years old and you're just beginning. Maybe you're 12 and you're trying to begin. We all begin in these places. And that's not a bad thing. I just, I found, I like this picture. It makes me think of Anna Sutherland when I pull it up. If you want this, then you have to have this. Isn't that true? And it's actually a beautiful thing. To be able to be honest about being this, But if you are this, and you are pretending to be this, can you see a problem with that? If you are this to the way, the way you think you deserve and the way you present yourself, but in reality you sound like this, is there a problem with that? It's a terrible burden we have in our culture today that everyone wants to think of themselves as an expert, as a teacher. And no one wants to be a student or a learner or actually be honest about things you don't know. We pretend that we have it all figured out. We pretend we're, we're fine. Believe it or not, we even do that in the church. A great sadness that I have is the idea that there are some people who will never come to Christ because they don't want to be embarrassed. They don't want to be thought of as foolish. They don't want to be a beginner. They don't want to have people witness them making mistakes. And they don't want to reveal everything that they don't know. I mean, it comes down to it. it's a matter of pride. And we all have that pride. And it's a temptation to us to pretend. To pretend that we're more than we are, that we deserve more than. But really, this situation that Paul is describing, he's talking about people that should be have grown more than they have. He's talking about babies that remain babies because they refuse to mature. They refuse to grow up. You know, we are meant to progress in the spiritual life. You are meant to grow in Christ Jesus. And if you're going through the same motions and essentially your faith, it hasn't changed in a decade, there's a problem. There's a real problem with that. If you have stopped growing, there is a problem. You look at a life like that, and you, 
child does not grow, you think something has gone wrong. But we do that all the time in the spiritual life. Some of us come, we're just, we're going through the motions, our hearts are not in it. Jealousy and quarreling among you? Are you not worldly? Rhetorical question. 
are you not acting like mere humans? See, the Corinthians are still using a very worldly playbook in their new life as, as disciples of Jesus. And just because you are baptized and coming to church doesn't make you suddenly mature and having figured everything out. But our baptism is a pledge, and it is a commitment, and it does provide us with a framework. It's a promise that we make to God. It is a turning point. For the rest of our lives, we grow into when my dad baptized me when I was 13 or whatever it was, I, I didn't have it all figured out. I've come a long way. I still don't have it all figured out. Still, but it's richer to me now. The meaning of it is deeper to me now. It's more important than
Only God who makes things grow. Paul says, you're looking at the work of the farmers. You're, you're, you're making judgments on the hired hands. And you're missing the miracle of what God is growing among you. You're missing the miracle of what God is doing in your very midst. The Corinthians are like, wow, did you see Paul's technique sowing those seeds? Even behind his back. And other people are like, no, 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 wait. Look at that Apollos guy with the water. He is something special with a watering can. Let me tell you, slinging water everywhere. The perfect time. Goes right to the roots. That's the, that's the image that Paul is building. It's kind of ridiculous. It's kind of comical in a sense. completely missing the wonder of a little seed that becomes this giant fruitful plant. They're missing the wonder of multiplication where one thinks it becomes 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold or more greater than it was before. If God does not make the seed grow, if God doesn't make it grow, what do the skills and the panache of the hired farmers matter at all? The only thing that matters is what God is doing to make it grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. One purpose. And they will be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field. God's building. God's field. God's building. One purpose. There's no competition between Paul and Apollos. They're just two different workers in awe of the miracle of what God was causing to grow in these people's lives. Now Paul begins turning the conversation to a consideration of the quality of our work. And, you know, each of us are here. And we're supposed to grow into workers for God's kingdom. Workers in God's field. We're not supposed to remain babies forever. We have meaningful work to do. And it's not all preaching. It's not all teaching. You are here for a purpose. Are you using your gifts to bless and to share? Are you learning how to become a servant? And even though we may have different roles from person to person and worker to worker, we all have the same role. A beautiful harvest that glorifies God our Father. The glory of God. We are all in this together to make people see the beauty of God, understand something of His love, and to be like, wow, not 
lesson for us today. Um, you can come up. I think the lesson for us today, if we are not careful, even in the Lord's church, we can get caught playing the comparison game. Waving the flag for the wrong stuff. And we do this all kinds of ways. something we can 